morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand up. Over this Advent season, we've been really just uh, talking about what it means to not only um, just anticipate um, what has already happened, but also anticipate what is to come. And so even as we sing these songs of glory to God and the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men, um, these are truths that um, were not only sung um, a long time ago, but they're also truths that we hold on to as we move into what is to come. That Christ is king and Christ um, has come, but he's also uh, going to come again. And so as we sing these songs, let us be reminded of what that is that these truths that uh, maybe we feel like are gonna be, uh, that are going to happen later, but we can live into them now as we are people of the kingdom of God.
Let's hear the word of our Lord this morning from Psalm 89. It says this. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil, and I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his, I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Amen. We continue to live with the promises that Christ has come and he's gonna come again. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Amen. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly
you are God. And one day every knee will bow. And everyone will say that you are Lord. Let's sing together. morning church we are so excited that we get to celebrate this time of Christ's coming and the peace that Christ brings to each of us so as is our practice this is a time of passing the peace which means it's a time where we get to share that peace that Christ brings to each of us with one another so turn greet your neighbor say hello make a new friend so excited. It is so wonderful to be together this morning on Christmas Eve. So wonderful. We're going to do it twice. Uh, we're going to have another service tonight, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But I want to introduce myself. My name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here. And always, always, but I think especially on days like today, it is a real joy to welcome each of you here as we worship together Christ, Christ who came and lived among us. We've been waiting all season to get to this moment where we celebrate the birth of Christ, that God loved us enough, so much, to send God's very self into the world to live among us, to know us. 
uh, and to continue to be in us to this day. It is a wonder. It is a wonder. And we sing of that and celebrate that today. And so tonight, if you'd like to join us at 5 o'clock, we are going to be gathering here for a candlelight service. It's from 5 to 6 o'clock. And we want you to know, as you let people know about it and then bring them with you, and for you yourselves to know, your kids are more than welcome to be with us. So we won't have nursery tonight. We won't have children's church because we want it to be a, a service where our whole church family is all together. So bring your kids. They're more than welcome to be here. We love them in here. And speaking of kids, guess what, guys and gals? It's your time to go to children's church. So if you're five or older, you get to head, or fifth grade or younger, you get to head on off. Yeah. Five or older, fifth grade or younger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all five and older, all the adults leave for children's church. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, kids. Bye, children's workers. Um, if you are on the end of the aisle and you're on the right end of it, if you lean over and pick up that black community notebook, that is a way of letting us know that you came this morning, who you might have brought with you. You can leave us notes in there. We pray over all of those names and look through those as a staff every single week. So thank you for helping us out with that. Also want to let you know that next Sunday is one of our favorite annual traditions around here. It's our New Year's Sunday breakfast. And so at 1030, we're going to be gathering over in our Family Life Center for a free meal. There's music. It's delicious egg casserole. We're adding cinnamon rolls this year. Yep. And we're going to hear from Pastor D. It's a wonderful time of being together. So there's nothing at nine o'clock. At 1030, join us over there. We would love to have you as we kick off the new year together as a church family. Speaking of food, my sister's a baker. She made some homemade coffee cake. If you didn't catch that this morning, there is more I hear. So after service, make your way through the Friendship Plaza to enjoy that as you move on with the rest of your day. At this point, I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we continue in worship by giving our tithes and offerings. So if you would join me in prayer as we pray over our gifts. God, it is a moment now where we get to reflect on how good that you have been to us. And that everything that we receive and have is not ours, but it's from you. And so it is our act of faith and trust, of devotion and joy to give back. And we thank you for this community that we walk through life with, that makes decisions together and thinks faithfully about how to use the resources that we've been given. We ask that you give us wisdom as we make those decisions and that we would do it in such great we give this entire service to you as we give you our lives. And we thank you for the gifts that you have given us. In particular, this morning, we think of the gift of Jesus to the world. And we are grateful. We receive that gift with joy and with reverence. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.
Good morning, church. We are the Reynolds and Montano families. I'm Ashley Reynolds, Montano. I'm Jenny Reynolds. I'm Mario Montano, and this is Evelyn. We will be lighting the fourth candle of the Advent wreath and leading us through this morning's reflection. We are about to enter the fourth and final week of this four-week Advent season. Advent means the coming and refers to the coming of Christ as an infant into the world. Christ's return Sunday and Christ's coming into our lives every day in the form of the Holy Spirit. For this moment, we turn our full attention to Christ's birth. This week, we will celebrate the incarnation, the act of God coming into the world through a human baby. It is hard to understand God being fully human and fully God at the same time. It is a mystery, a miracle, a movement of God's love. We experience God's love all throughout the story of Christ's birth. Not only did God give us a savior in Christ, but God made sure to send him in ways that would communicate a desire to relate to us, his beloved creation. God entrusted a young woman to carry Jesus in her own body. God sent angels to visit Joseph and comfort him with a specific message and direction. God prompted shepherds, wise men, and an innkeeper to change their plans and witness a miracle instead. God released Jesus into the world so that he could make his home here. For those who have been following along in the re-adventing calendar, move this week into a focus on loving children who are in need of a home. Thinking through God's love for us compels us to think about the ways in which we can be agents of love. This week, as we reflect on God's love for us, let's also think about how we show our love to others. May God fill us with love and teach us to open our hearts, homes, and hands in response to God's great love for us. Let's turn to God's word as we read of Mary's response to God's love for her and the world. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. 
And now uh, the bridge can be dismissed, which is a group of six to eighth graders. Good morning. My name is Dee, and as the others have said, what a joy to be with you this morning. For those of you who are just on the uh, slightly chilly side, I apologize for that, but we need to make these plants last till next week, and that's <laughs> what we're doing. So we are sacrificing your comfort for uh, our efforts to preserve these things. That's not true, um, but I am sorry for some of you who are cold. There are others in this audience who uh, this is the first Sunday you felt the temperature is right. And so for those people, I'm very glad this morning. Um, I have to confess, there's a little bit of surprise that you all are here. Um, I'm very glad that you are. But there has to at least cross your mind sometime during this season, I know the story. I've been down this pathway, the Sunday right before Christmas. I know how it progresses. It's the same story you've heard before. And yet, here we are again. And I want to ask the question, is it really the same story? Is there anything here that calls us to notice the story in a different fashion? And is it possible that each time we listen to this story, that it ought to be a little different? I'll leave that up to you to decide, but I'll have to say once again that there are some pieces of this story that seem the same, and the same again. You just heard the reading from Luke chapter 1, and we have um, a woman who's told she's going to be pregnant, and in the process is told that her cousin, Elizabeth, is already pregnant. Two pregnancies. That really is not big news. There are somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 million pregnancies every year. It is big news, I grant you that, but it is not as if it is different over and over again. It is in some ways the same story. Someone is pregnant. It is a little bit more interesting that at the same time a cousin is pregnant so that raises all kinds of interesting family dynamic questions. And everybody has their own story of um, family members and friends and relatives, or maybe yourself, in regard to pregnancy stories. And some of them sound like they repeat themselves. So it's not dramatically different, other than I would have to say that this one is a little unusual in that there is an angel who appears in a dream Dreams are not all that uncommon. Every one of us dream every night. You may not remember it. Much like white noise, things that we uh, deem as somewhat unimportant, we begin to ignore it. Some of you who have been around here for a while know that I um, have followed my own dreams for several decades now. And when somebody tells me that they don't dream, it's um, easy for me to convey that that's actually not true. You do dream, everyone does dream every night. If we're prevented from dreaming, 
then within a relatively brief period of time, we'll begin to hallucinate to try and make up for what we're not getting in the middle of the night. And so everyone does dream. We just don't typically remember them. Much like the pipes in my house, the first three weeks that I lived where we lived, this is about 11 years ago when we moved in, the sprinkler system causes this incredible banging noise, and it was set to come on in the middle of the night, or the middle of the early morning, and it startled me awake. So much so that I saw, thought somebody was banging the front door trying to get in. And I realized it was pipes, but I couldn't figure out who was taking a shower in the middle of the night. And then it dawned on me it was the sprinkler system. About a month ago, I happened to be up at that time of night. And it did the exact same thing. And I realized it had been years since I had woken up in the middle of the night to the banging noise. It had become white noise, unimportant to me, and so... It was the same every night, and I began to ignore it, probably conveniently so. So we have in this story a dream that takes place, the same as dreams every other night. I'll grant you this one's a little bit different in that in this particular dream, the angel Gabriel shows up. I think I'd remember that dream more than other dreams that seem to not be quite as dramatic as an angel showing up. But this isn't the first time that an angel has shown up in a dream. That's actually not the wildly unusual circumstance to have some kind of a sense that in my dream something ethereal took place, something that was out of the ordinary, something numinous that happened, and I find myself remembering those things and wondering about what they might mean to me. This was very explicit, though. An angel spoke to Mary. We have a story of Mary and Joseph getting married. Again, not all that unusual. Every culture has their rendition of marriages. And my guess is that most in this crowd have attended a marriage this year. So it's not as if that singular event stands out as something so dramatically different. We do have shepherds working in the fields. That might be unusual here in Point Loma, but it's not a particularly unusual thing for people to be at work. Even shepherds in those places where Shepherds are more common. One of the great experiences that I had in uh, my journey here in the last 10 years was to have the privilege of going over to the Holy Land. And on one of our passages on the tour bus, we looked out the window to the right and we saw wonderful flocks of sheep and shepherds who were taking care of the sheep it kind of destroyed my romantic image of what I thought shepherds should look like. They all were in blue jeans, hoodies, and had cell phones. And it just was not exactly like I imagined the Christmas story 
in the hills around Bethlehem. Ugh. But who knows what the shepherds might have been wearing that night. Working in the fields, as was their task to do. The same. Maybe a little bit different. In that that night, the skies seemed to part with the light that came as the angels appeared to the shepherds and proclaimed the good news about a Messiah being born. A lot's the same, but something seems different. But before I move on to the differences, let me pose one more thing that seems strikingly the same. Uh, maybe something that would make us rather uncomfortable. There's a verse that happens right in the middle of the story that almost seems to make Christ's birth unnecessary. Stay with me on this. It's found in chapter 2, verse 1. At first glance, you may not think that what I said is true, but it says that in that day there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Augustus, the Roman ruler. Interesting. The person in charge. I don't think when I simply read that verse that I think of all that's implied behind that verse. A storyline that certainly the people of the day would know very, very well. A storyline that speaks about the culture into which this baby Jesus was being born. The Roman Empire had been around for quite some time. It was really a republic ruled by the Senate, a gathering of highly distinguished citizens that were ruling Rome, until Julius Caesar came along, and in many ways, Julius Caesar became a dictator. His death resulted in quite a bit of chaos. Wars, civil wars that were taking place. Wars that lasted for a couple decades until Julius Caesar's nephew, Octavian, who was named Augustus, came into power. He joined forces with Mark Antony and began to squelch all of the fighting that took place. And there's a real interesting tribute that took place to him as a result of his campaigns having returned in about 19 B.C. from having squelched all kinds of problems in what we now know as Spain and France, there was commissioned 13 years before Christ was born, a monument to what he had done. It is now housed in Rome. They began to find the ruins somewhere in the middle of the 1900s. And they soon realized as they began uncovering some of these pieces what it was. 
called the Arapaxis. It's now enshrined in a very modern museum built, constructed by the same architect, Mayer, who constructed the Getty Center in Los Angeles, for some of you who have been up there. It's quite a contrast to this very um, stark, modern-looking museum structure that encloses this ancient ruin, basically a square, but very beautiful. It was an altar, an altar for sacrifices. The outside walls contained all kinds of beautiful um, relief pictures of various people from that day, and then the bottom half all the way around are beautiful geometric shapes, but of floral designs. 50 different species of plants that are depicted in this. And at the time that it was originally constructed, it was, at least we believe, brightly painted in brilliant blues and greens and yellows and reds. Now when you see it in the museum, there's no painting. It's just this gorgeous marble surrounding a elevated altar on which sacrifices were made, dedicated nine years before the birth of Christ. The Arapacus, it's the altar of peace. Because it was to signify this initiation of a time of peace. Some of you in history class might have studied, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, the Pax Romana, which sounds like a kind of cheese you grate over your spaghetti noodles, but it's <laughs> the Roman peace that extended for 200 years. Augustus was deemed, even though he was the nephew, as the son of Julius Caesar, and you may know that Julius Caesar was denoted as a god for the Roman people. And so Augustus was the son of God who brought about peace to the earth, at least the known world at the time. And this before the birth of Christ. And so in... Luke chapter 2, verse 1, when it makes reference to Caesar Augustus, we have to raise the question, so what makes this different? That the Son of God would be born and would bring about peace on earth. This had already been done. Is this just the same thing all over again? I would contend with some others that it's not just the desire for peace, but it's also how does peace come about? The way of Jesus was very different than the way of Augustus or any former emperor, ruler, dictator, or king. The pathway for Rome was pretty well spelled out. It was conquer, 
and war and be victorious. And when you had exerted enough power and might to be victorious, then you could dictate a peace. A peace that could be sustained by that kind of strength and victory and conquering. But inevitably, that kind of peace gives way to those who are not part of the ruling class, those who have not had quite enough power or strength, those who have been subjugated, eventually find themselves frustrated, pushed out, hurting, seeing the injustice and the inequity of it all. And inevitably, the wars that follow are worse than the ones that preceded them. The message of this birth is not the same and the same again and the same one more time. I, I don't want to jump past too far in the story, but I can't help in these moments to acknowledge the words of Jesus at the end of his earthly life when he finds himself in the garden and we hear the words in Luke twenty-two fifty-two, 52 where he looks at the people who have come to take him prisoner and to eventually put him to death. Soldiers with swords and he says to them, am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords to take me away? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely not. There's not some kind of rebellious uprising. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Pilate challenges him and says, Are you king? And Jesus says to him, What do you say? And in this dialogue, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my servants would have fought to have prevented my capture. We would have gone to battle. But this kingdom is not the same. It's different. Jesus came to acknowledge those who in this system of Roman rule have found themselves oppressed, in darkness, pushed off to the side, hurting, ignored, not allowed their share. And Jesus comes into the midst of that Roman peace to people who don't feel at peace at all. And so the question I think for us this morning is, what does this birth in Bethlehem mean for us? There will be, this day, over 350,000 births in the world. It's not all that unusual for a baby to be born. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 during this minute right now that we're having, 
it's happening all of the time. How wonderful to have one that was part of our scripture reading this morning. And across the globe, people are celebrating this morning the birth of a child. For us, the question is, will this Christmas season be the same? Or will it be different? And if different, how so? Does this birth really make a difference? Does this story in a little town in Bethlehem, as they tried to make their way from their Nazareth hometown down through Jerusalem to get to their place where the census was to be taken, a decree issued by somebody who was claimed to be the son of God who had brought out a brought about a Roman peace, what happens in Bethlehem turns the world upside down. It turns the world upside down because it is a call to peace through a very different means. It is a call to peace by caring for the oppressed. It is a care, it is a movement toward peace by concerning oneself with those who are hurting. It is a movement toward peace through generosity and sharing, through people who build schools that everyone can have access to education, who build hospitals so that those who need healing can be touched, sharing the good news so that those who haven't heard the incredible message of healing and grace and peace might hear it. It is a call to live our lives in a very complex world with a society that's been built on principles that have held us together for a while, but to live in such a way that honors not only a peace, but how we get to that peace that calls us to live out our faith, looking outside of ourself to others who might not only need to hear the good news, but have a chance to experience the good news. The disadvantaged child, the hurting person with a cardboard sign, the family member struggling on the outside looking in, the injured friend simply wanting someone to be a listening ear, the structures that give me many things that I get to enjoy, my willingness to step into those structures and say, how might their benefits be expanded so that others can enjoy? My willingness to say no to some things so that there can be a yes to some other people. Does this birth make a difference? Maybe not. Not if it's the same, same, same again for you and me. But if, if this season we considered that this could mean a different kind of way to peace, a different pathway to making a difference for others. A different world in which hope 
really exists for all people, then not only this Christmas, but every Christmas would feel different because there'd be a new set of opportunities, a new set of eyes that sees things I didn't see before, a new way in which this world has shifted, and I get to be part of a shift that changes the world. Father, this morning, we have before us a woman and her cousin who have found themselves with child. We have a marriage that's just beginning in the story of another marriage that has been going on for a long, long time. We have the joy of sharing stories between these two families. We have the amazing proclamation to the shepherds of what's taking place, the wise men who travel a distance to share in the incredible storyline. It was so different to all of them. This morning, make it different to us. Different so that we can actually make a difference. May the story come alive today in our kindness, in our generosity, and our purposeful intent to speak into our culture, the ways we do business, the life we lead, that we might be change agents in your world. That the birth of Jesus would transform our thinking this morning May our times of wonderful food and fellowship, of opening of gifts, may all of those things be reminders of your great generosity toward us. May they also spur us on so that this year our generosity and spirit, our understanding of giftedness and resources and opportunities spring forth before our eyes that we might see in a fresh new way. May your spirit fill us. May somehow the skies open up tonight in a different fashion. May the message of Christmas ignite within us a desire to see the world in a fresh new way and a willingness to make ourselves a little uncomfortable so that we might do something different that changes the world around us. Oh, Lord, bring this story alive to us this morning. Don't simply dwell with us. Dwell in us and change us. Amen. We'd like to invite you to stand as we respond in worship.
I hope this morning that it's not the same. The same all over again, but is different. I also know that the holidays for some are not easy times. 
whether you'd like to talk about some of the pieces of this message or just pray with somebody um, who could carry some of your load and burden with you. We have some wonderful prayers as part of our prayer team. They're going to be off to my right, your left, over in this area over here. If you'd like to pray with anybody, we invite you into that space to do so, to have somebody carry with you whatever it is that you are carrying. My hope that today, tomorrow, this coming week, that something that feels the same to you will remind you to think, ah, it looks the same, but something's different. Something's happening in me, in us, in this place. I invite you back for those who would like to come this evening. We've got our candlelight service at five. I just pray God's blessing upon you that the birth of Christ will pour over you in its goodness and its grace and its wonderful news and that the spirit of Christ will dwell within you. Go in God's peace and God's love. Have a Merry Christmas. God bless you.